So we are in a series where we've been asking the question, or we've been answering the question, this is us, this is who we are as a church. I was given a brief, I haven't stuck to it. Uh, <laughs> as I sat down, something else happened. Uh, so we are Revelation, and over the years we have had a number of adjectives added to our name. Uh, so originally we were Revelation Christian Fellowship. And the reason we were Revelation Christian Fellowship was because um, we didn't want to be an institutional church and we felt the word church was institutional. So we were Revelation Christian Fellowship. And then a little bit later, we became Revelation Church because we kind of thought, do you know what? We want to reclaim that word that's a, a really important biblical word. We want to reclaim it for our age and for our time. Uh, but then later on, we became Revelation Family Church because we felt that there was something about the fact that we had so many children and families and we wanted to be a group of people that welcomed all in. So over the years, we've had, de we've had different descriptive words that have gone with us, but we only have one identity and one pronoun, if you like, and that is Revelation. And so if we're going to understand who we are, we have to understand what that means, and that's what I'm going to try and take uh, the ambitious task of, uh, of explaining this morning. And um, kind of this staff is kind of symbolic uh, of revelation for me, so I'll explain you the story. Uh, about 30 years ago, when I was a relatively young man, but not too young, uh, there was a lot happening here as a church. Some of you here were actually around uh, at that particular time. We had planted quite a lot of churches. Uh, I was involved with all sorts of stuff in the UK and in Europe. Uh, we were gathering a thousand uh, leaders together across Europe who were all planting churches amongst young people in the nightclubs, on the streets, uh, you know, in the party places, all of that kind of dimension. Uh, was happening. And then this guy who was relatively new to the church, I think he was relatively new to faith, came back from South Africa uh, one day. And I was a young guy with uh, a shaved head and a ponytail sticking out the top at the time. I mean, uh, various, uh, you know, uh, uh, yeah, you like to think that hair was prophetic. I mean, I always think that a good hairdresser is really important. But uh, there, there, was, <laughs> there is something in hair. Uh, anyway, this guy comes back from Africa. And he brings this crook to me and he said I was in South Africa and I just thought I should buy this for you it's linked with Trevor Huddleston who was the guy who eventually spoke at Nelson Mandela's inauguration and he gave this to me and it was deeply symbolic for me of the calling to to be apostolic to plant churches to to speak God's word so it's a deeply symbolic scenario and it meant a lot to me and then sometime very shortly afterwards I was sitting in a meeting um, of national leaders and my father figure in the Lord who was somewhat prophetic um, took it from me without permission and gave it to another friend of mine called Jeff Lucas who some of you know about. Now at the time that caused me a lot of pain because it was like somebody was taking my calling and my anointing away and giving it to somebody else, a symbol that I couldn't explain. When I expressed this to Margaret a while ago, she said, well, the good news is if God hadn't taken it away from you, he couldn't have given it back. <laughs> Only a coach could say something that irritating. Uh, 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 anyway, um, so, so, so Jeff takes this and travels with him. Because he travels a lot internationally, he had it cut in half. 
Uh, but then he lost half of it in British Airways, so he didn't know what to do with it. So it sat in his cupboard for 25 years, which was somewhat irritating. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, about, um, not last summer, the summer before, just before, we were going on a staff retreat to Waverley Abbey. And, and I thought, oh, I'll go along. It'd be nice for the staff to have a retreat. You know, I, I don't really feel retreated. You know, I don't need a retreat. I'm sort of like, I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going, you know. But it'd be lovely for them. So anyway, so we go together to, to, to Waverley Abbey. And we just arrived. We're walking up the stairs to, towards uh, Jill Weber, who runs the retreats there. And we are halfway up the stairs. And the Holy Spirit comes upon me. And I'm th I can feel it now. I'm thinking... Hello, this is, <laughs> this is pretty unusual. Anyway, I sat down. We hadn't even like, done any spiritual exercises, meditation, walked in the garden, done anything. I'd only literally sat my bum down. And God said to me, I want you to lay aside all the things uh, that stop you from, being, from prophesying and from being apostolic. I want all the rest of it to go, and I want you to focus on that. Uh, that, that, was, <laughs> that was a revelation to me. The next week, I'm on holiday in Spain, and I'm telling this story to Alistair and Sandra Bullen, and the phone rings. Now, some of you might know uh, the passage in Scripture where the, 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 the apostles get a Macedonian call. Don't they? They're going in one direction, and then, they, and then the Holy Spirit speaks through this in a dream through this man from Macedonia who says, come and help us. So we're sitting in Spain. I'm telling this story uh, about, about the retreat, and the phone rings, and I pick it up, and it's a guy from Macedonia saying, could you come to Skopje and help us in our church? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I guess so. Uh, and, and so anyway, so we come back, and then around that time, my uh, father figure in, in the faith, who had relieved me of this stuff, and uh, sadly died and went to be with the Lord. And uh, I, I was sort of, a, and, and I was always very thankful for Gerald because he, he only ever did good things for me and for us. And, you know, he, he's a prophetic, prophet. So, he, you know, there are some things that you think, I've got some questions here. But, you know, uh, and, and, uh, but, but he only ever did good for me and I think for us as a church, those that you knew him. So, but I, I was going to his Thanksgiving and, and, you know, I was thinking, is there something of Gerald's mantle that he's invested in me and mentored in me that I should pick up? You know, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking all sorts of strange things, you know. And um, anyway, we go to the Thanksgiving, and Jeff is speaking, and, and is giving testimony to Gerald. And he said, um, uh, I was woken up at 3 o'clock this morning, and I was reminded of when Gerald took the staff from Roger and gave it to me. Only Gerald could take something that doesn't belong to him and give it to someone else. You know, and everybody's laughing because they know what he was like. It's sort of a really out-of-the-box prophetic figure and he said do you know what I was woken up at three o'clock in the morning and I felt God said to me go find that staff and give it back to Roger so in this meeting he gives it back to me and so he comes to the end and tries to give it to me and and uh, Margaret says well you can't you've got to pray it over him and not only that Roger needs to give you the word that God gave you which was you know lay everything aside you know, and Jeff, Jeff goes as white as a sheet, and, and I won't say what happened, but it was something that was incredibly powerful for him. So I only had the top bit of the staff, so I had to get it rebuilt. So you've got, I took it to this wood guy, and he took one look at it, and he said, whoa, that's African wood. From about 20 yards, well, I can't match that. But let's put some English oak on it, shall we? 
<laughs> so we're rebuilding our apostolic. But the funny thing is, when I got it after all these years, it sat there in my study, and I looked at it, and I thought, do I really want to pick this up? Can I really carry this? The apostolic calling, the prophetic calling, the calling to reveal the heart of Jesus. Can I? And, and it sat there for two or three weeks, and it got to the stage where I felt God's getting a bit irritating. They're irritating with it. It said, you pick this thing up. So anyway, I picked it up. So that's the story of Revelation, how God speaks to my life and my heart. And there's something right at the heart of our calling as a church that we are called to be a revelation. The, the root of that word in the New Testament is the word apocalypse, which means an advent uh, you know, Advent is a parousia, it's a coming. We're coming into the time of Advent when Jesus is revealed, where Jesus parousias among us, reveals himself. And the whole of the Bible is about God being the God of revelation. There's something essence about the church. We're called to be the revelation. And so whether it's, you know, um, God walking in the garden with Adam and Eve, revealing himself... <coughs> In, in a human form, God was walking. The, 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 the impetus of God was to reveal himself to Adam and Eve. You, you look in, in you know, Genesis, Abraham, this whole thing where God says, I am your shield, I am your great reward. Abraham needed to hear something at that stage and God revealed to him exactly what he needed to hear. Again, with Moses, who we've talked a little bit about this morning. You know, Moses says, who are you? And God says, I am who I am. Literally, I will be who I will be. I am. I am the one. I am the sum total of all reality. You can't make me into your image. I am who I am. And that's, that was the authoritative word that Moses needed to hear. And so we go, you know, Isaiah 6, you've got the vision of the, the prophet with the coals touching it. You know, Ezekiel 1, the wheels within wheels. You know, you've got all, all of this. You know, Peter in the New Testament you know, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're this. Who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ. And Jesus said, you means didn't tell you that. Your father in heaven revealed this. This was revealed by the Spirit. So it is with Thomas, who doubted. He puts his hand in the side of, uh, of Jesus' wounds. My Lord and my God. You know, bang. As far as we know, Thomas went <coughs> all the way to... Um, India was ultimately martyred, planted absolute shed load of churches. So he gets a bit of a bad press in the New Testament, but he got there in the end. You know, the Apostle Paul, you know, he's blinded, you know, Revelation. He's blinded, he can't see. And then Paul says, who are you? And Jesus says, I'm Jesus, the one that you persecuted. And suddenly he is able to see. So right at the essence of, of who who God is, is this desire to reveal to us. And our name is Revelation. And, and we're here to reveal Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate revelation. You know, everything comes together in Christ. The vision is Jesus. That's what it's all about. And so, but who is Jesus? <laughs> Which Jesus? Um, you know, it has to be the Jesus of Scripture. It's the Jesus who is fully human, but it's the Jesus who is cosmic and divine. It's the one who became flesh, who was born as a baby, who was raised again from the dead, 
glorified as he's seated at the right hand of the Father who created all things and in whom all things hold together. This is the Jesus that we worship. And for us as a church and for us as individuals, it, it, life is a journey of growing in our revelation of understanding of who he is because we can't fit Jesus into our mode of understanding any more than we can fully perceive and conceive God, but we can know him through revelation. And so, you know, this Jesus, who is this Jesus we're coming into heaven? I can't resist it. You know, if ever I get bored, I just think about the miracle of the incarnation. You know, if ever you got bored, you've got nothing to do with your brain, you want to put, forget the Times crossword, <laughs> just think about the incarnation and your mind will be blown. You know, this whole idea of Jesus, the eternal word. Well, the eternal word, John chapter 1, you know, the word. And immediately the Jewish thinkers would think, well, the word, that was what happened at creation. So Jesus is the word. The, the, the uh, Greek thinkers would think the word, the logos. The, to the Greek thinkers, the word was the eternal principle that held together the whole universe. And so Jesus is the word, the, the one who holds together the universe, the one who created all things, made flesh. And John says, this word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And then Jesus, talking to the Jews, says, before Abraham was I am. You know, Moses sat there and asked, who's God? Uh, God says, I am. And Jesus says, I am. No wonder they wanted to kill him straight after that. And then in Luke 1 verse 35, you have this whole framework of the word being made flesh. Of Jesus, the word becoming Jesus. And uh, how will this be, Mary says? The angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And so you have this eternal, pre-existed, eternally begotten Son sent from the Father, becoming Jesus in the flesh through the womb of Mary. This incredible miracle. My son, uh, James, said to my, my wife, you know, uh, I don't get that virgin birth thing. It doesn't really make sense, you know. <laughs> and, and, and Margaret just said, well, if God's God. And he goes, fair. <laughs> and so, you know, the, the, so Jesus, the word, the one who created through the spirit in the beginning, the logos, the eternal principle of order that holds together the universe became a human being. He entered Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit, carrying her DNA. Lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb. That sounds quite negative, doesn't it? It's meant to be very positive. Enters Mary's womb in her DNA, and even though he became a fetus in that moment and in that space and in that tiny space, he never became less than the one who is eternally begotten in whom the whole universe is held together. Even in the tiny fetus in Mary's womb, he was still the eternal pre-existent Son of God in whom all things hold together. Whoa! <laughs> now that is a revelation. 
You know, in making himself nothing, or in Philippians 2, in laying aside his majesty, he never for one second laid aside any part of his ontological, his essence, his being as very God, but somehow miraculously was able to shroud that and hold that back and put that in neutral. So as a young baby and as a child, he learned and gradually became aware of who he was. And in Christ, God embraces full humanity. God is not the kind of God who hates humanity, who hates flesh, who hates creation. He's the God who came and took upon Mary's DNA. Well, that's a revelation for a start. And Jesus was subject in every way to the trials of being a human being in this world, except in one respect, he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Apostle Paul can say, in, in, in Adam all died, but in Christ all were made alive. So Jesus was fully human, full humanity, because he took on the DNA of Mary. But at the same time, he's conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, so he was born free of the sin that came in Adam. And so Paul says, look, what we've got is Adam 2.0. In Jesus. Jesus was Adam 2.0. So we are all about Jesus. We're all about God. We're all about the incarnation. We're all about becoming that living example of Christ in the world, the body of Christ. But we're also, because we're all about Jesus, we are all about people. We're all about humanity because Jesus 2.0 is the second Adam. He's the model of the new humanity. What happens straight after in Luke 3 when Jesus is baptized, the Spirit comes upon him and God speaks and he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What happens straight after that cataclysmic and momentous event? The Spirit comes upon Jesus and drives him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What have you got there? You've got Eden Mark 2. You know, the first, the devil came to the first Adam in the garden and they blew it. Adam and Eve blew it. The devil comes to the second Adam in the wilderness and Jesus absolutely stuffs him. You know, where, Ad, where the first Adam failed, the, the second Adam succeeded and walked in obedience to God the Father all the way to death upon a cross, through death into resurrection. And so Jesus is the second Adam. You know, if we want to know what God, God is like, we could look at nature. You know, we could look at science. So I love what um, the, uh, the, the, the one, I can't remember his name now, but anyway, I, I love what one, what one of the uh, scientists, Oxford scientists, he said, well, look, you know, atheism is actually... Um, you know, it's anti-science because ultimately atheism is built on random. Everything's an accident. So actually, it is inherently anti-science where he says, actually, Christianity, we believe in a creator God, we believe in an ordered universe, we believe in design. And so when the first scientists started out, they believed that science would actually work because everything was designed. So there was a logic that you could find within it. But if you're an atheist, there is no logic, so there is no design. So he articulates you know, why science is 
you know, not incompatible with God. Anyway, I'm going down a blind alley here. But, but you know, in reality, you know, we can look at nature, we can look at science, we can look at all of those things. But ultimately, if we want to know what God is like, we have to look at Jesus, the Word made flesh. But also, if we want to look at what true humanity is all about, we also need to look at Jesus. Uh, because where, as I said, where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus has, has succeeded. And so in his humanity and in his deity, Jesus shows us the way. There's a revelation that we need to hold that's revealing Jesus, but that is also upholding full humanity, that Jesus shows us the way. We love people. We are here as a church to love people, to care for people, to see God's power break out, to, 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 to Jesus died upon the cross for the joy set before him, and we have a joy set before us, which is hundreds and thousands of people finding Christ and finding what it is to have God's purposes and God's power born in them and revealed in their hearts and revealed in their minds and beings and everything. So the whole of their lives can be taken up with this journey because Jesus has been revealed. Now, how do we know? <laughs> There's a few concepts in all of this. That it's fun to explore and think about. I would really encourage you, you know, when you're bored, just, you know, just do this. You know, if you, if, if you want to do it, just Google hypostatic union, going back to the first one. <laughs> you'll, you'll get some very confusing things. But you know what? That someone somewhere might have written something sensible. Um, but, but so how do, we, how do we know who Jesus, who this God is? How do we know what we know about Jesus, you know, we only reason we know that the documents we have is Scripture, it's the Bible. Now, there is some historical evidence. There's plenty, you know, there's plenty of, you know, that Jesus existed. You get every now and then to get some daft person, you know, usually fishing who's, you know, you're a God brother and this whole thing doesn't make sense. And they usually say Jesus didn't exist. Well, I mean, that's the daftest thing in the universe because there's plenty of historical evidence. Uh, but in the Scriptures, you see something key. Jesus defined himself by the scriptures. You can't make sense of who Jesus is without the, whole, the, old, the old Testament. He fulfills basically everything in that whole framework. And so scripture in and of itself is a type of revelation. It, it tells us about a new birth, a fresh start, hope for the future. Don't despair. It's radical. It's life-changing. It's incredible. It's amazing. It's a gift of God. Uh, but Scripture is revelation, a different level of revelation to who Christ is, but nevertheless, it's revelation. The Old Testament's got history, it's got myth, it's got prophecy, it's got all sorts of stuff. The New Testament, uh, there's a little bit of prophecy in there, you know, eyewitness testimony. You know, some historians say, well, you can't trust it because they're post-resurrection documents, they're eyewitness testimony, these people were believers. Well, what do you expect you know, if you come across the one who's the word made flesh face to face and you see all these miracles and there's so many of them that you can't fit them all in the book that you've written and you'll see that you're going to believe, aren't you? That doesn't mean to say that they're not great history. Um, all history's written, you know, there's polemical history, isn't there? You know, any of you teachers, you know that, that history's written with an agenda. Of course the New Testament's written with an agenda because these people have, have come face to face with the Word made flesh and their agenda is to tell the truth of that story so that the whole world would know. 
And so when we encounter scripture, we enter that same story and we're given the commission to tell the whole world. How do we know what we're going to tell the whole world? The only reason we know it is because we have scripture. And we have the whole of scripture. You know, I, you know I, if you've got a red letter Bible, get yourself another one. Uh, you know, or, uh, how irritating. You know, only the things that Jesus actually said. You know, for goodness sake, he's the word made flesh. He's the author of the whole thing. The whole of scripture is revelation and in canon. Don't just take one. Oh dear, it's ridiculous. And of course, what you end up with is you end up with just a small picture. Whereas the whole scripture paints the whole scripture of who God is and who Jesus was revealed to be. I love it. Um, you know, the Old Testament, you know, Scripture says about it, says, you know, the law of the Lord is perfect. It enlightens the soul. It, it, it lights the eyes. You know, it, it warns us. It purifies us. There's that sense of Scripture. There's something about Scripture. It's not just a normal book, right? That's what we've got to get. It's revelation. Now, it does involve a little bit of interpretation at times. We do need to, you, you, you know, understand what's being said and who, where and how. But generally speaking, that's true. So it has an authority. There's an authority in Scripture that is above any other book. That's what it claims for itself. That's what Jesus claims for Scripture. That's what all of those that followed him claimed for Scripture. And so we, we have this word that's been given to us that gives us the key to who Jesus is, that explains to us about the new humanity, that gives us a lens on ethics, morality, economics, environmentalism, the kingdom of God, how we pass on God's message to this world. And so that's what Revelation is all about. It's about this encounter with the Spirit, this encounter with Jesus that speaks now into our lives and guides our destiny. It's about the revelation of Jesus, the pre-existing word who became a human being and who now still reveals himself by the Spirit. You know, it's about the new humanity and, and, and seeing God's kingdom come now. It's not about just waiting until we die. It's about doing the business now. And so we, when we get to Scripture, first thing we do is we fight Scripture, <laughs> you know, because basically all of our, all of our upbringing and often, not all of it, some of my upbringing was pretty good, but, you know, not all of it. And, and, you know, when I came to Christ, some of my thinking was okay. Most of my thinking when I came to Christ was out of whack. It was out of whack with God's purposes. I had no idea who I was. I didn't know why I was here. I didn't know how I could overcome the brokenness in my life. I didn't know how I could step out of the smallness of my family, my lovely parents, and uh, you know, but who my mum was adopted. She didn't really know who she was. She didn't even find out who her real mother was. She, you know, until later on, she thought her, you know, she thought her adopted mother was her mother, and she thought. Some of her friends were her friends. They weren't. They were her brothers and sisters. They knew that. She didn't know that. When my dad found out, he told her. 
and, and his adopted mother never forgave him for it. He thought, I can't get married. When I know all this, everybody... So mum didn't know what... Dad went in the war, youngest of 12, brother came back. You know, his approach is, I've been everywhere. I don't want to go anywhere else. How do I break out of that and find out who I really am? You know, Jesus... The revelation of Jesus, the revelation of Scripture, when you look at yourself, you see yourself in there. But in that process, you know, my mind had to be renewed. I had to do battle over ethics and morality. I had to do battle over things were not there to be understood. And we still battle with those things. But in the end, Scripture is revelation. As God, I felt, said to me very early in, the basic is we're incompatible and I don't change. In essence, anyway, occasionally, God changes his mind a little bit. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any point in praying, would there? So, um, so Scripture, there's something about us that's doing this battle with Scripture. And, you know, we're not fundamentalists. Because we're not, as, as my great mentor said, fundamentalism is no fun, basically mental and full of isms. You know, <laughs> basically fundamentalism is stupid. But that doesn't mean to say we do not believe in the authority of Scripture and we don't wrestle with it, but we do it through the lens of Jesus and the eyes of Jesus. And when we see Jesus walking upon the earth and the way he treated people and the way he responded, we have a lens. And that's how every decent Christian theologian from the beginning has always looked at Scripture through that lens. And so we have a confidence in this revelation. And revelation involves Jesus as the living word of God, defined and revealed in the written word of God, brought to us and born in you and born in me by the work of the Spirit, impacting, defining, weighing, testing, shaping, developing, directing the whole meaning of reality and existence. Come on! That's why this book here is so important I know you've got it so most of you've got it on your phone and all that I'm kind of attached to this one um I, I think this book's got quite miraculous I took it fishing with me it got soaking wet I thought I'm gonna have to throw it away <laughs> it seems to have dried up it still works it's fantastic but so God is calling us to a revelation of Jesus a revelation of the hu humanity confidence that the word that God has given us in Hebrews 4 is sharper and active like a two-edged sword, something like that. It divides between the soul and the spirit. So we encounter this word in all its complexity with the inevitable clash with culture around us. Do you know, if, 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 if God is just like everybody, if the definition of good, what's the definition of good? If you don't believe in God and if you don't know God and you don't know God's ways, and you don't have any absolutes, so you don't have any frameworks, so you don't have any anchor point, and you don't know who made the world, and you don't know the one who made the world, or you don't know why he made the world, or you don't know how he made the world, or you don't know the principles within which the world is put together. So then you don't know the framework within which we come as human beings, and you don't know who, who we are as, as human beings made in the image of God, male and female, all of that. You don't know that stuff. You don't know how a family works. You don't know how this works. You don't know how humanity works. If you don't have revelation, you don't have a framework for any of those things so what what you see out there in society is going to be a mishmash 
Because every human being is made in the image of God, but is also broken and faulted, you're going to have philosophies out there that have got a little bit of good and a little bit of bad. You're going to have ideas out there that have got a little bit of good and a little bit of bad. You're going to have some ideas that are completely utterly from the pit of hell. And you're going to have others, do you know what? They don't know it, these guys, but it's just like Jesus. And we're called as a church to go in the authority of Jesus and the power of the Spirit and to bring his revelation to the world around in the same way that Jesus did it, which was humility, but authority. <laughs> Resurrection power, I think, is the term. So, landing the plane. Uh, yeah, Paul said, you know, we do our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And we demolish every argument. <laughs> so there's a little bit of heavenly boxing going on in prayer. But Paul sees it a lot in what's going on around. And I think what depresses me is when Christians give themselves to an ideology that doesn't have its origins in Christ. And so Paul says, don't be captive to any philosophy that depends on the principles of this world rather than on Christ. So I land this plane here saying, as revelation, part of who we are. It's this dynamic breaking. We should expect God breaking into our lives and the lives of our church in quite shocking ways that are quite awkward. You know, you know when, when, when my wife was at Cambridge, Margaret, she asked, she asked the uh, 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 historical lecturer, what, what has Christianity stood for in Cambridge? And this, this historian, this top scholar, top Cambridge scholar, he said, um, the suppression of excessive zeal and the maintenance of the status quo. That, that is Christianity in Cambridge. Well, I want to say, we are the opposite of that. We're about revelation. God's spirit breaking in somewhat inconveniently for Mary. You know? But that's the way God does it. But you know, when God breaks in, do you know what happens? Salvation breaks out. So I think there's something in our identity that is about God breaking in. We're a little bit untidy. We had a prophetic word about paint being thrown all over the place and mess being created. And I think we're kind of that kind of church. But we have seen his glory, John says, and we can't unsee it. We've seen his glory. We've had the revelation. Luke, Luke says, we were eyewitnesses of all these things, so I'm writing an orderly account. I'm going to write all these things down. Yes, with a certain agenda, but I'm going to write them down. And, and in 2 Timothy, it talks about Scripture being God-breathed, breathed out from God. And we are called to be breathed out from God. In Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. So God both breathes into us and then he breathes out of us. And so if we've got to ask about the question, who are we? Um, this is symbolic. This is not about me. <laughs> it's about um, the apostolic. It's about God's kingdom breaking in. It's about care it's about shepherding it's about it's about all of those kind of things it's not about me I'm just holding it every now and then somewhat inconveniently and hoping I'm not gonna have to look too stupid when I'm doing it um, 
But that's what it's about. And I think part of the challenge to us as a church is, are we still up for this? You know, are we we up for being that revelation? I mean, you know, if we're not, we're in trouble, isn't it? Because human beings live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus is our bread (laughs) at one level. But it's kind of like... So I think that's for me is the challenge. And I don't know what the best thing to do about that right now is, is um, you know, I'm very careful before, as I say, I'm very hesitant to pick this up. And I've, I've had an interesting reaction. I've had some people, and I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to touch this. I don't want to hold it. I've, you know, I've offered one or two leaders it who said, no, 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 I'm not ready for that. A, few, a couple of years. So I've, I've others have said, can you pray for me? And then I'll come and lay a hold of it. And go, I'll, I'll, you know, it's, it's an, others of uh, there's one guy who's going through a lot of depression or a lot of difficulty at home, and he just takes it. He likes to run around with it and pray with it. <laughs> it symbolizes something of God's care. But I think for us as a church, it's kind of like, it, it, yes, it was given to me, but I think it's also given to us. And I think the, I think the challenge is, are we willing together to be this revelation and to make our stand around that? And I think if we are. We're going to see God break in and break out. And that is what we need. So I'm going to pray. Do you have any ideas on response? I'll pray. And then maybe if the band can get there. And I think if in that you are aware of a specific challenge for you personally and you want to, you want to take that step forward, you, you can come out. I'm happy to pray with you. But get someone next door <laughs> to pray for you. And if you want to come and, um, yeah, get, just, let's just say that, shall we, <laughs> for now. <laughs> um, okay, let's stand, shall we? Mm. Lord, we thank you that you are so far above and beyond and you're glorious and that you're wonderful uh, that you are light that you are truth that you are all those things and those things feel like attainable but then when you look at Jesus you are the one who is has been and who's come who's alongside us looks into our eyes sends the spirit into us born in us We thank you, Lord. And I ask right now that um, you will, all of us, Lord, me included, I say, Lord, I I open my uh, heart and my life and I say, come, Lord. Uh, uh, Come, Lord. I want to live my life for your purposes, Lord. And, And so, and Jesus, I've seed you. I can't unseen you. I've experienced you by your spirit. I submit myself to your authority in your word, even when there's certain things that I'm still trying to get my head around. Still, I yield to your revelation in Christ and in Scripture. And Lord, we love the things that you love. We love human beings that's what we want to be about we want to model a new humanity we love this world 
just like you love this world. We love your truth. And so, Lord, right now, we, each of us, we take stock and we take a step to say, we're up for this. Come and reveal yourself in us and through us. Thank you, Lord. Together, we are the body of Christ. Together, we reveal something of Jesus that cannot be revealed by one human being. And so we commit ourselves to that. We will be revelation together. Thank you, Lord.